Guys, we're in a series right now called Love Thy Neighborhood. And just, again, thinking through and praying through the message. And you know, we had a team that was, that was very prayerful about helping put together messages for this series. And one of the things that, that we walked away with just almost laughing about is the reality that relationships are hard. Isn't that true? I mean, we're talking about loving thy neighborhood, which inherently we're going to get into loving thy neighbor, but can we just all agree for a minute that relationships are tough? Amen, and everybody said amen. That's exactly right. Relationships are hard, and when you look at the pain that you've experienced in your life, when when you evaluate the difficulty that maybe you have experienced at different times, I promise you the vast majority of the pain that you have experienced is tied into relationships. Relationships are hard, and yet we all want them, and we all know them, and there's this, there's this odd tension, isn't there, nowadays in 2019 where, where people are describing being lonely more than ever before. They want relationships like never before, yet we have virtually no actions that we're taking to engage in those relationships, meaning we, we want it, but the work that's required to experience it, we, we really don't want, we don't want to put it in. And you know what it's like when you've had a friend and maybe that relationship maybe took a turn or season of life or somebody moved away and now you, you realize you, you kind of need some more friends in your life or some relationships in your life. Finding a new friend is like dating all of a sudden. It's like getting married, you know, like you literally are evaluating, you know, how, how's this relationship going right now? You know, like, well, what do you want from this? What do you want from this? You know, I, I mean, having friends nowadays is, it feels like dating. Or if you're looking for a new church, people underestimate how hard it is to find a church. You know, you, you evaluate and you're looking and are these my people? And, and do you, how's this working for you? you know, and vice versa. Relationships are hard. Relationships are hard. We want them, yet the effort and the work required to actually experience them, it sometimes is intimidating, isn't it? It's overwhelming at times. And so the latest Pew Research poll shows that 31% of people who live in a the suburbs, so to speak, live in a house or apartment. 31% do not know the names of their neighbor, right? That is now, if, if that seems like a low number to you, I might even have said that wrong. It might be that 31, only 31% know their neighbor. Hold on a minute. Now, I, I got it right, just making sure, right? 31% of, of people don't know the names of their neighbor. And the vast majority, outside of that, I forget the, the actual number, don't know the names of their neighbor's kids or any meaningful detail about their neighbor's life, right? Which means most of our relationships are staying surface deep. We're not getting to really know each other. We're not knowing, we, we, we don't know how to be praying for one another. We don't know the ups and downs. I was telling my kids this past week about a story of starting a fire in my neighborhood. It's 
giving, we have a fire pit in the backyard. We're giving our, our kids. We got one, one of my kids loves fire. He loves just burn stuff, okay? He just loves to burn it. So I'm giving him lessons on how to handle fire, and I got to share with him about a time where I drug a hay bale into the, you know, the, the creek bed, and all the kids in my neighborhood, my dad used to smoke, so I got his lighter, and we lit that thing on fire. And we grabbed as many branches as we could, and we threw it on there, and all of a sudden this fire got way out of control. Everybody panicked and ran. Fire department gets called, Right? You got a bunch of like sweaty kids with ash on their face all sitting in a room together. And it was one of these collective moments. Everybody knew everybody in that room. You knew the names of everybody's parents, the names of their kids. And when your mom and dad whooped you, everybody else's mom and dad got to whoop you too. Right? That's how it was. And so, so the world has changed a bit though, hasn't it? And there are some reasons why. And I want to talk about them today because they have great bearing on how we love our neighbor and how we love our neighborhood. Technology is an amazing thing. I love it. I love my iPhone. I love the fact that I can send a text message. I can record a video. I can, I can, you can do just about anything. I was on the way to the uh, church today, and I literally just said in my car, hey, Siri, Text Michael Miller, person who leads our setup team. It literally just, right there, just, it just literally responded to me. I have no hands. I literally just spoke to my car. My car speaks back, and, and away we go. I mean, technology is amazing. But technology has afforded us something, and the consequences of it have been very significant as it pertains to relationships. As technology has increased and your ability to work from home has increased and your ability to commute and your ability to, to uh, live further and further away or to simply move and to move around and to move to different jobs, we've become far more nomadic than we have been in recent decades. Meaning the ability and capacity and desire for people to simply pack up and move is different than it was 20 years ago. If you're like me, and I'm 38, I grew up in the same home for most of my life. And when we finally did move, we literally moved like a street over, okay? Now, some of you, if you're a military brat, you've experienced something very different, and I recognize that. But technology has afforded us something in that we are allowed to be far more nomadic as it pertains to income and jobs and how we create wealth. And because that's true, because people are moving around a great deal, and because we oftentimes settle into our home or this season of life, but we don't really look at it as permanent. We don't look at it as a place where we're actually developing roots. It's just a chapter. I'm not really going to settle in. I'm not settling down here. And because that's true, we don't actually engage in true life-giving relationship with the people around us. After all, if you're only there for a minute, your neighbors are probably thinking the exact same thing. And so as houses go up for sale and people move and new people come in, I mean, relationships are tough. How long are they really going to be here anyway? And so we don't settle in to a culture any longer that really builds long-term relationships. 
Add to that a culture starting in about the 80s, a culture of fear. And, and without getting into all the details of it, if you look historically at marketing and advertising, there was a distinct shift in how we began to advertise and market, and it's fear-based marketing. Politics, sales, businesses, it's the fear of missing out, the fear of not having, the fear of what this person in being in office will do, the fear of, of gun, gun control or not gun control, the fear of abortion or not abortion, the fear of, of immigration, the fear of, the fear of. There's a thousand and one things to be afraid of. And consequently, we are. Statistically speaking, we are more afraid as a culture than ever before in the history of the United States. Yet, the world has actually never been safer. That's the difficult thing, statistically speaking. The world has never been safer than it is right now. But all we see are things like terrorism. And what does terrorism aim to do? Fill you with terror and fear. We walk around afraid, and if you're afraid and relationships are tough and you're not sure how long they're going to be here, are you really going to take the time to get to know the people around you? Chances are you're not. But we're going to do something about that, and our church is going to do something about that. Amen? Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Let's look at what Jesus has to say because I think... Some of you are sitting here, and you need relationships. I've got great news for you today. Jesus has something to say about you and relationships. And some of you are sitting here today, and you need to do something about the people that God's put in your life. I've got great news for you today. Jesus has much to say to you and I about the relationships in our life. Matthew 22 Jesus is, is speaking. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, this is an interesting uh, tension point here because Jesus is drawing two what would seem to be unrelated commandments, but he's putting them together. Love the Lord your God, my paraphrase, with everything you've got. But there's another one, and it's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the measure of how you love God is felt in how you love people. In other words, we cannot say that we are being faithful to love God if we are being unfaithful to love people. We cannot say that. It is a, it is, it, it is an, it is a theological fallacy to think that you are loving God well or I am loving God well and all of the relationships in my life are a train wreck because of the actions and behaviors and patterns that I have in my life. And so knowing what we know about our country and knowing what we know about culture and knowing what we know about just our own human lives right now, 
You know what we need? You know what you and I need to love our neighbors and love our neighborhoods well? We need courage. We need a fresh Holy Spirit outpouring of courage. Courage is the strength to do something in the face of fear. We need courage in our friendships. Lord knows we need courage in our friendships. We need courage in, 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 in gaining new relationships and new friendships. We need courage. We need courage with roommates. We need, pers- we, need, we need courage with the person who lives across the hall who drives you crazy. Courage with spouses and courage with children. Courage with parents, with teachers and classmates. You need courage to love the people God has put around you, even if you're afraid to step out and face rejection. We need courage to listen, to speak, to sacrifice. I'm going to say this one again because I think it's a big one. We need courage, deep breath, to face rejection in our lives. Lord knows we've experienced a lot of it. You have, I have. Because that's true, it can be hard to put yourself out there in a meaningful way. To love people well, to love people like Jesus loves people fiercely, boldly. Jesus wasn't quiet all the time. Jesus spoke, but Jesus also listened. We need courage for all of these things. So here's how we're going to do it. Turn to Mark chapter 2, and we're going to discover how. God, as we turn in our Bibles, I'm asking that you would speak to us and minister to us today. And Lord, that we would become better at loving our neighbors, better at loving our neighborhoods, the places where you've put us. God, help us to love like you love. Fiercely, sacrificially, boldly, God. Help us to lead, to live, and to love like that. Amen. Mark chapter 2, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. If you grew up going to church, this is going to be familiar to you. To you. If you're new to church, maybe you're sitting here and you haven't really decided if Jesus is who he says he is. You're not entirely sure, is he really the son of God? Can I really trust the scriptures? I want to invite you to, to, to in, other, in some ways, spectate today. I want you to look and investigate. Maybe even pray. God, if you're real, would you show yourself to me? Would you do it today? Mark chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read uh, several verses for you. So buckle up. We're going to go on a little journey right now. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. This is Jesus' hometown here. Well, not his, not Bethlehem hometown, but place where he grew up, per se. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. 
Since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the to which is easier which is easier to say to this paralyzed man your sins are forgiven or to say get up take your mat and walk but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins so he said to the man I tell you get up take your mat and go home he got up took his mat and walked out in full view of them all this amazed everyone and they praise God saying we've never seen anything like this so to paraphrase Jesus is in Capernaum these are people that that know him there's some people who are familiar with him the word has gotten out Jesus the prophet Jesus the healer Jesus the teacher is here and if he's in a home we don't exactly know what structure he's in if it's technically a house or a building of some kind, long story short, wherever he is, it gets packed out. And people come, and they, they are coming, okay? It's the, it's, the, it's the concert of the century. It's Woodstock, you know? It's, it's, it's the thing that everybody wants to get to. Jesus is here. We've heard about him. Remember when he was? Let's go see. Let's go hear him. Let's go see if something happens. This is going to be exciting. And so the crowd forms, and the crowd is big enough and significant enough that, that a paralyzed man cannot get to Jesus. And four of his friends are carrying him in. You can imagine some kind of, almost like a wooden mat of some kind, maybe with, with, with holders on it, and they're carrying it with each corner. Guy on each corner, and they're carrying their friend to Jesus, but they can't get to Jesus so what do they do? They decide, let's get up to the roof. And they take him up there, carrying their friend, probably some stairs. They get to the roof, and they dig a hole in it. And they lower him in front of Jesus. He's miraculously healed. And he walks home, carrying his mat. And the people are standing there, and they say, we've never seen anything like this. And they begin to praise God. Amazing story. Even as I read it, I love to put myself in stories when I read them. If you like to read, the best stories are the ones that you, you see yourself in. You're drawn into that world, right? This is one of those stories for me where, Oftentimes we, we sanitize it and we glorify who we would be in the story. 
But I want to take a minute today as we're talking about relationships and we're talking about how to engage in life-giving relationships and love our neighbors well. There's, there's, there's three different groups that are, that are at work in this story. The first one are the teachers of the law. The pastors. The guys who are running the church affairs, right? People leading things. And I find it so interesting in this story that the teachers of the law are so close to Jesus. They're so close in proximity to him that they can literally hear the words that come out of his mouth when he says, son, your sins are forgiven. But rather than looking for ways to say yes to what God is doing, to partner with where God is at work, consistently throughout Scripture and certainly here, they find themselves in knots, theologically speaking. They find themselves in knots as it pertains to rules being broken and ministry being messy. And they want things to be a certain way. I mean, after all, they are the, they're the ones who are the teachers of the law. Their livelihood is on the line here. This needs to go a certain way because I have a vested interest here. My reputation is at stake here. My money is at stake here. My influence is at stake here. My job security is at stake here. Jesus you cannot be doing what you're doing the way that you're doing it. That's not going to work. That's not allowed. That doesn't work, Jesus. It's outside the boundaries of what is acceptable ministry. That doesn't look right. Who does this guy think he is? Sins are forgiven. Give me a break. That's blasphemy. And it seems innocuous, right? They just Maybe they just had a disagreement, except in just over a week, they'll be plotting to have Jesus killed. So I'm not suggesting that you or I are teachers of the law in this story. But I think it's worth noting that there are times in our lives or seasons or currently your just life where instead of removing obstacles between others and Jesus, our life can become the obstacle for others in Jesus. And a courageous love, the kind of love that Jesus invites you and I to, to dish out and to experience. Courageous love, it removes obstacles between others and Jesus. It gets things out of the way. But oftentimes, we find ourselves drifting into this idea of, of rules being broken and, and things not being followed a, a certain way. You can see this tendency in your own life. Remove church from it for a second. Actually, no. I'm going to give you a great example. Spiritual gifts is a, is a hot topic in, in many church circles. But what I, never, what I always find amazing is how oftentimes people can get so bent out of shape over the letter of the law being followed regarding spiritual gifts in someone's life 
yet they never seem to care when someone is addicted to something like pornography. When it's an issue of morality is on the line between someone and Jesus, we're quiet. Oh, but give me a religious rule that's broken, and I come out of the woodworks. I am Mr. Theology. I know everything, and I know that this is a religious law and rule, and it's been trespassed. This isn't how we do church. God is not pleased. Really? Is that really the case? I can speak authoritatively to this because this was me. Sometimes we don't think about the fact that somebody owns this house or this building. And there are guys who've climbed up to the roof and have dug a hole in your house or the building that you own. Now, can you imagine Jesus is teaching just like this? Probably didn't look like this, obviously, but he's teaching. He's probably standing. You know, he's got something where people are, are maybe standing with him. Maybe they're at tables. And all of a sudden, dust, you know, just starts sprinkling at first from the ceiling. And then chunks of whatever are coming down. And then you've got the first, you know, the first peering eyes, you know. And it's like, here we come. Right? And they're literally widening this hole to lower this guy down. You're lowering a paralyzed guy on a mat. This isn't like a soda can hole here. This is a huge opening. It would have disrupted the entire meeting. It would have begun, and then you would have just had to, you would have just sat there and wait. Like, this is going to take a minute, guys. Sorry, I'm, it's a little distracting. I can't continue in the message. We're going to wait for this thing to get down. My question is to you, are you more excited about the ministry that's taking place and the life that's getting changed, or are we more upset about the fact that there's a hole in a roof? Are we more upset about the fact that there's a mess on the floor and somebody's going to have to clean this up around here? And we find ourselves knotted up over the wrong things. Are you, is your life removing obstacles between others and Jesus? Or is your attitude and your heart, is it creating barriers for others to just come and know him and experience the life-changing power of Jesus? I'll be honest with you, there are plenty of times where I'm that guy. And I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Jesus, have mercy on us. But then there's another group of people that I'd never really caught to, to think about in Scripture. But you got a guy. People probably know who he is because in order for him to survive, he's probably been on the corner begging. That's what was common for someone who would have been paralyzed, unable to walk or move. This wouldn't have been a stranger to the community. It's not like they would have no idea who this guy is. Yet there's an entire crowd that has formed, and you've got a guy on a stretcher, a guy on a mat, and he cannot get to where Jesus is. You would think that at some point, someone in the crowd would have looked and said, oh, man, it's Johnny's, you know what, make way for Johnny, or make way for this guy, make way for, for, for this, this person. If there's anybody who needs to, to get in front of Jesus, it's him. Maybe God can change his situation or change his life. But instead of anyone taking notice or anyone taking care, 
No one parts the crowd. No one tries to move people or, or, or get people out of the way for this guy to get to Jesus. We could have saved ourselves a lot of trouble of digging if we had just cared enough to have our eyes open to the people around us, to the needs that they actually have. See, the crowd is an interesting thing. Throughout the scriptures, when you see Jesus ministering, the crowd is fickle, isn't it? The crowd loves a show. The crowd doesn't want to do anything that would jeopardize their seat. I mean, heaven forbid their seat gets taken. I mean, I got here early for this. You know, I, I sacrificed a great deal to be able to see what Jesus is about to do here. In fact, not only that, I took my Bible and I've saved four other seats with it. My seat is saved. Don't, don't, don't come up in here. I don't, don't mess my plans up here. I am here for the show, the spectacle. The experience. And there are lots of crowds that gather every single Sunday. And we're in Jesus' presence. Hearing him teach. Being ministered to in our hearts. Yet somehow we miss two unbelievably fundamental things. That at some point, the comfort that you have received from the Holy Spirit and the comfort that you have received from Jesus should not stay cooped up inside your own soul. But you, in turn, if you're not careful, you will become, once again, the obstacle for someone else coming because you're simply not paying attention to who is paralyzed, to whose soul isn't working, to the needs of the people around you. We won't catch it. We won't see it. But because we love the experience of being in church and we love the experience of being around church things and Jesus things, I've got to protect my interest here because my seat is on the line. But Jesus came for who? Came for the sick. He didn't come for the healthy. Now hear me, we're all sick in that we don't have Christ living inside of us. And Jesus changes us. That's the beauty of the gospel. When you choose to follow Jesus Christ, and he fills you with the Holy Spirit, and you're changed from the inside out. It doesn't make your life look perfect. It doesn't mean that all your problems are solved. But something has changed fundamentally about who you are on the inside. And because that's true, there now becomes a shift where it's no longer just about me getting my needs met. It's about me realizing that there are other people who need this transformation also. And heaven forbid that I'm just sitting here always locked in with one thing in mind, me. Because if it's just about me, I'm going to miss all the other people. All the other people that are still waiting, that are sitting on a mat, who need Jesus more than anything else. But rather than us just making a way, we bear down. We love our thing. And we don't want it to change. 
Where are you in this story? See, courageous love refuses to be apathetic. It refuses to exist for our own benefit. We can't stay the kind of community that just knows how to clap to the songs and the kind of community that knows where to say amen and hallelujah. We can't be the kind of community that has notebooks full of messages and big ideas and scriptures, yet somehow we, know, we, we have no eyes for those who don't know Jesus, for those who need transformation by Jesus. We cannot be this way. We have to love courageously if we're going to love our neighbors the way Jesus loved his neighbors. And it cannot be apathetically. We cannot love with apathy. Love, courageous love gets involved. Courageous love parts ways. Courageous love removes obstacles. One of the reasons we have this thing called this, this bunny breakfast. Did I kind of say that funny? Bunny breakfast. This bunny breakfast, excuse me. Is that we are determined to be the kind of church that engages with our community. And I can't guarantee that the gospel will be preached, that any person will be prayed for. I can't guarantee that any kind of typical ministry will take place at the Bunny Breakfast at the Ben Robertson Community Center. I have no guarantee at all. But here's what I do know, is we are not gonna be the kind of crowd who just gathers on Sunday and experiences a great service and goes back to our little way of life without engaging other people with the gospel. And while it may be a silly little bunny breakfast, you know what it's going to do is it's going to put you and I in front of hundreds of people who simply need a cup of coffee. And it might put you in front of somebody where you're able to just have a conversation and that conversation might turn into something about kids or something about life or something about sports or something about something and a number is exchanged and all of a sudden this is how ministry happens but it looks like you stopping looking this way and always having this amazing Sunday morning moment and beginning to look out and see the needs of the people that are around you. That's why we're doing it. Why do we have a mission trip to Cuba, which you can also sign up for? Why are we doing that? Because there are people who need Jesus. Plain and simple. All that information you can receive by texting HP Info to 97000. <laughs> What I love about this story is there's another group of people and they're his friends, this guy's friends. There's a unique fact about this story that I think you can only find in one other place in the New Testament. It's that Jesus heals this man. And never once do you see this man asked to be healed. 
There's not one instance of him speaking. There's not one instance of him demonstrating any viable act of faith anywhere in this exchange. But Jesus sees the faith of his friends. And he is so moved by the faith of this man's friends that Jesus moves in this guy's life. I don't know what that morning looked like or that afternoon. But I can just see this guy who has probably weathered many storms, who's probably very discouraged, who probably is very faithless at this point. He's probably prayed a thousand prayers. He's probably made a thousand offerings. He's probably done all the things that he knows to do in order to potentially walk properly or to have healing or, or feeling in his legs, but none of it has, has, has happened. And his friends get together somehow. There's probably one friend who's spearheading the whole thing who's like, guys, Jesus is coming to town. Let's go get Johnny. Get him on the, like, you grab a corner, you grab a corner, and you get the other one. Come on, let's go. And away they go. And they're carrying this mat. It's probably heavy. It's probably sweaty work. It's no wonder that the crowd beat them there. And they finally get there, but they're undeterred. You see the faith that this, these friends have for their buddy. It's gripping and it's moving. There's a huge crowd, but rather than being deterred or, or saying, man, maybe another time, they say, man, no way. We're going to figure this out. And they literally carry him up a roof, up the side stairs of a house or a building, and they get on the roof and they dig the hole out of the ceiling. And then they just begin to lower their friend down. There's no talking here. There's no conversation. There's no permission being asked. They just take over, and they begin to lower their friend down in the middle of Jesus' ministry moment. And Jesus isn't mad. Jesus isn't upset because he sees the faith of this man's friends. These guys are willing to do whatever it takes for their friend to have an encounter with Jesus. And when we speak of loving relationships, how do, what, what, how do, you, how do you and I love like this friend? Well, you can have a whatever-it-takes attitude, for sure. But even just practically speaking, courageous love gets involved in the lives of the people around you. You and I have to live the kind of lives where we choose to get involved, where we choose to walk into the mess rather than running away from it, where we choose to stop being upset by the mess and outraged by the mess, but sometimes even willing to be all up in it. Rolling up your sleeves with people, loving people well. Loving people well, having the conversations that have to be had. Courageously loving the people well when you need to be quiet. Courageously loving people well enough to sit with them when they cry and they're in need and they're discouraged or they're desperate. 
Courageous love looks like you doing whatever it takes for someone to encounter the love of Jesus Christ. A whatever it takes attitude. A heart that's willing to get involved. And I'm going to tell you, that's hard work. Because relationships are hard work. But I have great news for you. The Holy Spirit gives you everything you need and more to love like Jesus. You are not lacking. You are not without. This isn't about how long you've been in seminary or how many Bible passages you know or whether your praying is good enough. None of those things matter. Having a whatever-it-takes attitude for others to know Jesus, to grow, to encounter him. Number one, it's life-changing for them. But I'm going to tell you something else. For those of you who want to grow in your faith, oftentimes we think growth comes from having this big, deep, saturated Bible study. And I'm here to tell you, the greatest growth comes when you actually get in the game and you start ministering to someone. Courageous love will take you places you do not want to go. Will lead you in conversations you don't want to have. And inspire you to sacrifice that which you don't want to give. I'll say that again. Courageous love, loving like Jesus, it will take you places you don't naturally want to go to. But you can't, you can't explain it. You can't escape it. I, I need to go there. I don't really want to do that, but I'm... I know Jesus is telling me to do that. In the flesh, I don't want to walk across the street and talk to my neighbor who's been rude to me. But you know what? I'm going to do that because that's what Jesus would do. Courageous love takes you places you don't want to go. It leads you in conversations you don't want to have. This is awkward. I'm going to bring the gospel to you. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus, and you may reject it, and you may reject me. But far be it from me to keep this gospel to myself. I'm going to try. See, courageous love, it leads you in conversations by the Holy Spirit that you may not initially want to have. But the Holy Spirit gives you strength and conviction. Also gives you the same strength and conviction to be quiet and to listen and to not feel the need to clean everybody up or to make things a certain way, but to just let Jesus move. Inspires you to sacrifice that which you don't want to give. These four friends, they may have had things to do, but they spent that morning carrying their friend on a mat. They spent that morning sweating on a roof, digging a hole so they could lower their buddy through it. Courageous love will impact everything about your life. And the amazing thing about it is you refresh others. The scriptures say that you yourself will be refreshed. This man walked away healed. But you, you know who else 
had a moment of celebration? Can you imagine if you were one of those buddies? You're probably, I mean, once you lower your friend through the roof, it's not like you can get down. You're just watching from the ceiling. Can you imagine seeing the fruit of those prayers and the fruit of that work and the fruit of your hoping and your fruit of your not giving up and the fruit of you having faith in Jesus moving on your behalf? Can you imagine it? Do you think that impacted their faith? Do you think their relationship with God was changed? Do you think they were willing to pray even more in the future? Do you think they were willing to put hope in Jesus and to trust him and to follow him and that he might have become their Lord and Savior? You think that's possible? I sure think it is. He wasn't the only one that was changed that day. The crowd was amazed. They gave thanks to God. You want to love your neighborhood? Reject apathy. Decide that your life is going to be the kind of life that removes obstacles between others and Jesus. And make a choice to get involved and have a whatever-it-takes attitude with the people that God's put in your life. Sit to your feet. Father, I thank you this morning, Lord, that our heart is to make a difference. Our heart is to love you. Our heart is to love our neighbors. Our heart is that you would use us, Lord, in this crazy world of relationships. Lord, like your promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12, Lord, we thank you that our lives are blessed so that we can be a blessing. It isn't something we just keep to ourselves. Lord, you've blessed us that we can be a blessing to others. That which you've done in our own lives, Lord, we choose not to keep to ourselves, but we love courageously the people around us. Help us, Lord, to have courage. Help us to trust you. to love like you love Jesus. It's in the wonderful name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that we say, amen. Love you, church. God's good. He's faithful. And he's faithful to move in your life and through your life. Ask him. Look for opportunities. Pick up that mat with some other people and start carrying it.